Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumpke is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumpke will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumpke. Apply now at RumpkeCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer. Restrictions apply. From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM, McKeesport, and also on WLDJFM 107.5, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and streaming at italknet.com. Hope everything's going fine for you on this wonderful day. And today we're going to still be talking about the uh, whole, whole COVID-19 coronavirus situation that the United States is dealing with, and matter-of-factly, the rest of the world. On the phone, like phone line right now i have kieran dunston dr kieran dunston uh doctor how are you doing today i'm doing great bill how about you i'm doing real good other than i have must have a frog in my throat but i'm doing fine i'll get through it um so you are a doctor of functional medicine can you explain to my audience what that's all about Sure. Functional medicine identifies the root cause of symptoms and disease and treats them naturally with lifestyle, vitamins, minerals, herbs, botanicals, and other treatments so that there's root cause resolution that uh, gets rid of the disease or symptoms rather than just controlling symptoms with drugs and surgery. Which isn't that the way medicine should be? Well, in my opinion, yes. And I do think it is the medicine of the 21st century. I think we're coming into that. I think it is the answer to our healthcare problems. Okay. Um, I believe that the reason our healthcare has gotten so expensive is because it's just managing disease. It's not fixing it. It's not healing the body. Uh, so it really, I think, is the answer to our health problems that we're encountering now. So because right now everything is we're not doing preventative care. We're doing aftercare. Right. We really are, Bill. We are just we have a huge disease burden of chronic diseases like high blood pressure, diabetes, um, impending heart disease. We just have a plethora of chronic diseases. So a traditional allopathic medicine really shines when it comes to emergency care. We, we really do well with that. However, it's, it's this chronic disease burden that's um, financially expensive and also expensive in terms of leading to um, the causes of death that we're experiencing, like a heart disease and cancer. And um, the truth is that if we implemented these root cause resolution treatments for people who have chronic disease, that you actually can reverse and heal these diseases and heal the body so that people aren't at risk for um, early or premature death or disability. And it's much less costly to, to do so. So where is your practice located? Well, I do everything virtually, Bill. I do all of my consulting with people from wherever they are in the United States. Oh, really? How does that work for you? It's great um, because people don't have access to this type of care um, in every locality. So being able to provide it via telemedicine really has been wonderful so that people can access it anywhere. Um, there are more and more practitioners who provide this type of care. Okay. So increasingly, most areas have it, but there are still are a lot that don't. Um, so I really enjoy it. Also, um, it's just, it, it's a really freeing technique. I know I was providing services in person in Atlanta for a long time, but traffic is horrible and people would have to drive and park and do all of those things when now they can just consult with me in their pajamas in their house, which is really nice. <laughs> so with the whole idea of telemedicine and how it works, you don't ever physically meet with the patient. So everything is done virtually online. 
Um, are you able to get an accurate diagnosis that way? Absolutely. So there is a requirement for telemedicine and with my clients that they have a primary care doctor, that they're current with their physical exams and their checkups okay. and all of their diagnostic tools. But for my testing, I can send people to get blood done at LabCorp Quest. And then I, with the special tests we use in functional medicine, I have kits sent to their home if they need to collect saliva or stool um, or urine, they have them sent and then they send them into the lab. So I can use um, all of those diagnostic tools, but in terms of a physical exam, they have to be current with that. But really when you're you're treating the root cause, uh -huh. um, being in person is not is not necessary. That's, it's, I must still be in the, the 19th century when it comes to medicine because yeah. with what you're doing in the 21st, that sounds really fascinating to me um, where I'm located at I am I am south of one of the largest medical providers in the United States with which is the city of Pittsburgh and UM, UPMC hospitals so I'm very familiar with their setup and I've always been taught you have to go to a doctor you have to go to the doctor and now with everything happening with um, the 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 virus the pandemic that we're dealing with in the United States I've been noticing and talking to more people that said when they have to see their doctor they're doing it via telemedicine and to me it's still a foreign word because I don't know I mean for goodness sake I'm talking to you right now and we're having a conversation I don't understand why I have a block in my mind that I can talk to you this way instead of being in the same room but yet I can't talk to a doctor that way yeah, I think it is a paradigm shift and it's new for a lot of people, just like functional medicine is new. Um, and sometimes we can have contempt prior to investigation and say, well, no, I have to see the doctor in person. Right. Well, something that people should know is everybody thinks that the doctor has to lay hands on me and listen to my heart and lungs. But what people need to understand is that by the time you actually have a problem that with your heart or lungs that I can hear with a stethoscope, you, you have a pretty big problem. Uh, by the time I can feel a mass in your abdomen, you have a pretty huge problem. Um, and so functional medicine actually works at the root cause. So the tests that we do look at the function of the cells, okay. we look at your genetics, we look at the microscopic molecular level problems that cause these big problems. So we're looking for problems, 5, 10, 20 or more years before you actually would be diagnosed with something in a regular doctor's office that they would find on a physical exam. So this is really preemptive of that. And, and a lot of people get a false sense of security from having a quote unquote, an annual exam that's quote unquote normal. And the doctor saying you're in great health and doing the standard blood work and reading it the standard way, but functional medicine is a is a really a higher standard of care that um, looks for the root causes and so it finds it sooner. And so because you're doing that, laying hands on is is not is not necessary and actually misses the point of functional medicine. And it also makes the patient more responsible for their own diagnosis because they have to actually understand what's happening in their body instead of just saying, I don't feel good. They actually have to pay right. attention to what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, doctor means teacher. And so I really see my role as an educator. I educate people about their health and about their body and about um, the various types of treatments available and how the body works and the tests. And then I educate them in uh, healthy and diet and lifestyle changes. You know, we all know we should exercise more. We all know we should eat better. But does anybody really understand why or what's important, what are important components or characteristics of the types of exercise that we need to do and why, why we need to eat a certain way and why we might want to eat some things and not others? And really, as doctors, we should be the leaders in this conversation. But unfortunately, because of our payment model, we are really not compensated for the time that it takes to sit with people and really dive into their lifestyles and what they're doing and figure out with them a co-partnership what is going to be best to move their health towards optimization. You know, you, you, it takes a lot of time to do that.
that. So as functional medicine doctors, a lot of times our visits are 45 minutes, an hour, or sometimes two hours, whereas it's very quick to write a prescription. It takes a few seconds, and most uh, allopathic medicine visits are five to 10 minutes, and you leave with a prescription or several prescriptions. So it's a, it's a whole different model. And yes, it does require people to really become educated and realize that they are the CEO of their health and that they have to run the ship and direct the ship. And we are advisors and educators, um, but it is a different a different paradigm. Do you think with, with the shift that's happening right now, um, and especially a country that was not familiar with telemedicine, such as you're talking about, and a younger generation becoming more responsible for their own medical needs, do you see there being a shift within the next 10 years after this situation is resolved with the pandemic, do you see a lot of more, a lot more people going to the telemedic or the functional medicine model? Because to me, it sounds more effective than what we've been doing. And the only way to, to fix the system is to break it first and then rebuild it from the bottom up. I, I absolutely agree. And I think that we were heading this way and telemedicine has increased um, exponentially over the past few years. Um, however, it, it, it and it was projected to increase further ex exponentially, but this has really pressed the issue because now we can't go to the office and doctors aren't even in their offices. So everybody's kind of very quickly gone to telemedicine for non-emergent types of issues. Right. And so I think this is forcing the issue of the direction we were going. Um, and I think it really will give people the opportunity to see that this work, telemedicine works fabulously. And they'll see, wow, I don't have to get in my car and go anywhere. I don't have to park. I don't have to take time off from work. I can go in, you know, in the conference room at work and I can have a telemedicine consult um, and just get the same level of care. Sure, you'll still have to go in um, periodically for, for hands-on and testing and things like that. But I think it really is going to change the model. We do video conferencing and I can see you and you can see me. Uh, but I think a lot of people didn't, uh, it just was foreign and unfamiliar. And so maybe they were a little wary, but now uh, it's really going, they're going to have some experience with it probably over the next few months. And so they can get comfortable with it. To me, that just sounds totally amazing because the whole idea, like I said, to me, I'm in my fifties, it's very foreign to me, but I can also see where this is going to become more accepted because of different things that we're dealing with in the United States and on and the rest of the world also. I know a young lady right now who um, is is ill, who actually they, they found out that um, she, they believe she has strep throat, but she did everything through telemedicine to do that. Now she has to go get the test done to make sure. But just hearing what she had to say, it sounded much more convenient because, like you said, you don't have to go get dressed up. You don't have to get in the car. You don't have to drive. You don't have to sit in traffic. And if you don't feel well, that is not the best thing to do to begin with. So now at least I can go in, schedule an appointment, go online, and take care of it that way, which to me sounds much more effective and much more pleasing. How long have you been doing this, this uh, model of medicine? I've been doing telemedicine pretty much exclusively for the past two years. And really the patient, patient satisfaction is high. Um, There's some people who are early adopters. They get it, they okay. hear about it, they want it, they jump on it. I think most people are in kind of in the middle of the pack where they're a little bit um, confused. It's not how they're used to receiving medical care. They're a little bit suspicious. Can the doctor get all the information right. they need? And they, they feel the need to be in person. But I, what I find universally is that once they experience it, and it really is like you're sitting right there with patient and doctor, they are totally on board, totally on board. They're believers. They get it. And they say, oh, this is the way I want to receive my medical care. Now, when I, when I went through your website, I noticed that you're certified in, in certain states. Are you able to practice medicine with people in all 50 states, or do you have to stay in those say, those states that you're certified in? Well, I have state three states I'm licensed in. I'm actually getting licensed in a 
five okay. others um, shortly. I've sent the applications. And then I have um, partner doctors in other states oh, okay. who practice functional medicine. And so um, they will co-consult with me on patients in um, states in which I'm not yet licensed to assist with care and, and prescribe when necessary. Oh, see, because that sounds interesting to me because you because you don't know where your clients come from until they, they go to the website, they make an appointment, and they go that way. So that way you don't have to turn anybody down whenever uh, whenever they're they're seeking you for your professional help. Right. So the other thing I have, which is a question when it comes to payment, are you working with the major insurance companies or is this all out of pocket? No, typically for functional medicine, insurance is not an option. They don't. When I first started doing it back in 2011, I did um, bill insurance and accept insurance payment. Okay. Um, but at some point they turned around and said, what are we paying you for? No, we're not paying you for that. So they typically, insurance companies do not pay for functional medicine. So it is a cash model. And, you know, there does need to be some education and understanding around patients. We're really Really socialized to believe that our health care should be covered by our insurance companies and anything outside of that, a lot of people don't want to pay for because they see it as an expense to be mitigated and not an investment in their most precious asset, which is their health. And I think the pandemic is really highlighting how valuable our health is and how it is tied to our wealth. I mean, just look at with the threat of the virus and even when the first people started becoming infected and becoming ill, our economy went down. And that really mirrors what happens with the indiv on the individual level. When people have health challenges, it, it thwarts their earning capacity pretty readily. And as those health challenges become greater and more prolonged, um, it decreases their earning power. And so the two are intimately tied together. So I really help people to understand um, that it is an investment. Money that you pay on your health is an investment in your most precious asset that helps you to have greater earning capacity. Um, you know, my, my dream is that in the future, uh, I think one of the solutions for our healthcare crisis is to take a fundamental root cause resolution approach to creating health and not just managing disease, but we're actually going to create health for people. And that means like having group programs like I hold for people where we all work on these issues together. Um, those are actually the most effective types of programs um, because it's hard to, to teach someone how to do this all by themselves because they look around and they say, well, nobody else is doing right. this and my doctor's not telling me about this. Why do I have to not eat gluten or not eat dairy? Um, so when you do it in a group, it really helps people to foster this um, the support that they need to make these changes. And that gets into a whole other discussion, Bill, about <laughs> why, you know, what are the forces that are preventing us from doing that? And it gets into the politicization of our food supply. And it, it's a really in-depth, intricate conversation. What's interesting about that is years ago, I did a cooking show with a, uh, with a chef, and that's what he talked about, that how politics goes it, it goes hand in hand with our food supply because of how farmers are getting um getting uh benefits and kickbacks and all this money paying them to get rid of stuff paying them to keep it paying them to produce it and then the gmos that you're dealing with and it's very interesting because it is a system that all revolves around i hate to say it but money and that's why that we have an obesity problem in this country because the stuff that people can afford to buy is cheap, prepackaged, and boxed with every chemical in the world to keep or preservative in the world to keep it fresh. But yet we don't have people that know how to use fresh vegetables and fruits and meats to be able to prepare them for themselves and do it in a way that's proper to be able to take care of themselves. So there is this. There, you're right. There is this whole thing with the way we think, and unfortunately, it all deals with money. 
Right. It's so true. I, I was watching this weekend, actually, a, a great um, docuseries on Netflix, but it was made by the History Channel about the history, the food that built America or something like that. And it goes um, through the kind of food revolution that we have had over the past 200 years where we had commercialized food products made. And it talks about how, you know, we always hear about the car manufacturers and how they're built the finances of America, but really food, you know, Hershey and Nestle and Kellogg and mm -hmm. General Foods and Post and all of these million dollar companies, billion some now, really form kind of the financial backbone of a lot of our society. And I just, I do want to comment on, I think it's a fallacy that people believe it costs more to eat healthy, and that is not true. Um, it actually costs more to eat junk food. Um, and, you know, they talk about this in this docuseries, how Kellogg's cereal, you know, you take some grains that cost a few pennies and they would process it and mash it and mix it and put it in flakes and put it in a box and they could charge several hundred times the cost of the ingredients. And that's how their profit margins were so huge and why they made so many millions. And the same is true for Hershey and chocolate. Yeah. You know, that their profit margins are ginormous. So think if you buy the raw ingredients and you cook and prepare the things yourself, it actually ends up costing you less. And I love for people who work with me to look, take their grocery bills before they work with me. And then when we start working together and they start buying the Element, elemental foods like nature, Mother Nature makes them and preparing them themselves, and they actually save a lot of money. But I think that one of the reasons why we don't can't have a serious conversation about this um, is because uh, our society is, is a capitalistic society and food companies drive a lot of the economy and therefore they drive a lot of the dialogue, the media and and, and actually what happens. And so, you know, the healthcare is really a money making machine for insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, and food companies. Right. So there are a lot of people who stand to lose financially if we move to a fundamental approach that takes us back a couple hundred years to when we didn't have these health problems because we ate from the land, we ate locally, we ate seasonally, um, and organic food because there were no pesticides. We didn't have artificial flavorings and colorings and GMO products. And so we didn't have the health challenges that we, we have now. Um, one of the one of the things I, I get a kick out of is my my wife who researches what we eat on a regular basis. And the one thing that she switched us to about so probably about 10 years now was everything we eat in the house. If we're using anything, we're using butter for the most part because of of what it's made out of. Because before we were using margarine and people don't realize margarine was never made for human consumption. It was made to fatten turkeys up for Thanksgiving, and turkeys don't like it, so they couldn't waste the money in the in the uh, in the uh, scientific research. So they changed it, added few, added food coloring to make it look like butter, and now people are using it. And it's like yeah. this is really interesting. And now what I think is really funny is there's a major company out there now who's now calling it plant based plant based butter, and all it is is margarine. Yeah, and I think even when they started um, giving it to humans, they dyed it pink. So people would know, you know, this is something different and you right. know, it's not butter and it's, it's it might not be good for you. But, yeah, it's um, – yeah, and I even like ghee, which is a clarified butter. So they remove the milk solids. This is what I usually have my patients eat because uh -huh. a lot of people are sensitive to the milk solids from cow's milk. So ghee – removes those uh, casein and whey from the butter. Um, and definitely you want to eat grass-fed um, uh, beef butter from cows that are grass-fed. You don't want to get – otherwise you're getting the corn. Right. You're getting the grain, and grain's just there to fatten them up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is it is very interesting when you look into it and you start researching what you're eating which is very similar to what you're talking about with functional medicine once you start researching why you don't feel this way and it could be because of what you're eating um lack of sleep 
um, stress levels being high and stuff like that. Now, not only are you working with the physical, are you also working with the mental? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I work with what, what are called the intangibles. And one of the first things that I talk with people about is that you are an energetic vibrational being before you're a physical being. Um, and this can be evidenced by your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs. You can't locate those anywhere in the body. They don't exist as concrete physical things. They are energies. Um, emotion is energy in motion. It moves through your body. It's energies that move through your body and the thoughts that you think. And so really helping people to get in touch with that. I like to do some experiential exercises where people can experience that because some people look at me like I'm crazy and they say, what are you talking about? And I must say that I don't know that functional medicine does a great job necessarily of teaching uh, that. So I've more delved into the energetic uh, medicine teachings to learn about that and work with clients. Um, but, you know, any, everybody knows if you laugh a hearty laugh at a really good joke, how you feel. And most people describe that as feeling expansive and elevated and joyful, right? Or how you feel when you feel gratitude or you feel love. And those are high vibration emotions. Your energy is, is at a high vibration. And compared to constricted emotions like fear, anxiety, resentment, anger, shame, those are all very constrictive, constrictive, low vibration energies. And, you know, most people can say, oh, yeah, I notice how, how I feel. Well, those feelings, are energy and motion in your body and you are this energetic being and the um, Chinese have tapped into this for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine through acupuncture. They access these meridians of how the energy flows up and down the body um, with needles. Um, well, you can measure these energies outside of the body with electromagnetic frequencies. You can photograph them with things like Kirlian photography that actually show that um, there is an energetic framework to our physical body. And for instance, after amputees, um, let's say they have a leg amputated, you can still photograph this energetic blueprint of the leg. It still exists. Mm. Um, and same for all living things. So it's true for leaves. Uh, and it's, it's really important to address this because every physical disease or dis-ease in the body has a physical, has an energetic corollary. And so you have to address the energetic corollary to get complete physical healing. So what, when I, when I hear you talk, um, and, and what I think about, because I, of course, I think about my own medical history and, and what I'm dealing with. Um, I'm, I'm slightly overweight. I'm in my mid fifties. I have hypertension and I have, um, and right now I think I have a cold, but anyhow, um, what, what I hear is that a lot of it can be done to deal with this myself just by the way I feel not just physically, but also mentally. If I put myself in a good mental place, that will actually probably help me heal or or get better quicker. Am I am I reading that right? Right. So part of it is mindset, and, and you do want to stay in in higher vibration emotions. Right. Um. So that's part of it. But then there is a there are deeper parts of it. So for instance, I don't know if you're familiar with the ACE study, adverse childhood events, that has been done that shows that when you have adverse childhood events, which aren't necessarily big T trauma, like somebody beat you or a parent died, but right. small T trauma um, that you didn't get the nurturing um, and attention that you needed. Um, and there's a questionnaire and inventory that people can find Google online and find and take to get your score. Depending on your score, these small T trauma adverse childhood events do correlate with the number of disease diagnoses you have, the number of medications you'll be on and your level of health later in in life. And so what this gets to is these intangibles and the fact that um, the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that we have that most of us formed in childhood, we do carry through with us and they do affect our health. So part of it is, yes, you know, seeing how we can minute by minute 
massage our thoughts and, and emotions to be in a higher level, you know, instead of going into like with the current pandemic yeah. fear, um, what is there to be grateful for? How can I get out of fear and into gratitude? What is there joyful to look for? What's right instead of what's wrong? Um, and so keeping that, and I call that mindset, keeping our, our emotions high, but part of it is a lot of this is subconscious. And so you really have to start making the subconscious conscious. And if you look around at, the, at your external life, it really is an outpicturing of your subconscious beliefs, right? If you were taught when you were a kid that you um, wouldn't be prosperous, then most likely as an adult, you look around, if you have uh, taken on this belief, you're going to see a lack of prosperity. Um, whereas if you believe the opposite, you probably will outpicture prosperity. And so if, if you're wanting prosperity, but you're not having it, really starting to uncover what beliefs you have around that. What beliefs did you take on from um, as, a, as a young child that are now outpicturing? And how can you evolve these beliefs? Um, and when it comes to health, I find that a lot, I work with a lot of middle-aged women, because I was my own ideal patient when I discovered this type of medicine. Uh -huh. I weighed 243 pounds. I had fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, and I was depressed and anxious, and my hair was falling out, and I looked and felt 20 years older than I was. But by an allopathic medicine model, everything was quote-unquote normal, right? Oh, you're just getting older, and right. you're just gaining some weight, and you're just tired. And, you know, there really was no answer except a fistful of prescriptions, a sleeping you know, pill when I had trouble sleeping and an antidepressant, you know, it was just all this pharmacologic treatment, which I said, I'm not going to do. And then I, through a series of miraculous events, discovered functional medicine. And then since then, I've really gotten more into the energy medicine piece um, and treated the the root causes. So it's, it's really um, unearthing these beliefs. So the pe people that I see a lot of times are women who a lot of them are very successful in business, but their health is in the toilet. And so we have to start looking at, well, what are the beliefs that you have that are causing you to overgive with your work um, and not take care of yourself? And, uh, you know, we may be socialized into this as women that we have to overgive um, in order to be worthy and earn our worth. You know, we don't make as much as men. Um, and so really looking at that, making it conscious and evolving that well do you really believe that no well then how do we start evolving so that your life actually outpictures what you want to believe and then the beliefs actually do catch up so it's awareness acceptance and action you're aware of this you accept oh yes this is what i was taught and then you take a contrary action so that you say no i'm going to start setting boundaries at work i'm not going to overgive i'm going to ask for what i'm worth and and expect to receive that and then if i don't receive it at this company i'm going to go to another company um and and this is all so intertwined with health bill and that's what a lot of people don't get um, it really, you know, if you don't have good boundaries in your work environment, guess what? Your body won't have good boundaries, which, and, which makes and a it, lot of sense. It really does. Yeah. So then there's a, a mirror effect. And so you have to fix the inner to match the outer and the outer to match the inner and then get everything kind of flowing. So you're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM, McKeesport, PA, and also on WLDJFM 107.5, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and online at italknet.com. Now, what's interesting is you're talking about all this, and now as the United States is going through a pandemic, do you see the way people are reacting to this uh, being, being a um, part of the medical treatment they've got in the past, because in, in a lot of ways, it looks to me that people are, I don't want to use the word panic, but are oversensitive to what's going on because everybody is living through this type of fear that, oh my gosh, I may get this. And a lot of people have gotten it. However, they've been able to come out of it on the other side 
and they've been able to come out well and healthy. And yes, we've lost quite a few people that have died, but is that because of the way our medical system or our, our, our uh, insurance system, whatever it may be, has taught us how to react when we come into a situation like this? Well, I, th- I think it's an interesting, in our lifetime, uh, we have not experienced anything like this. And and it, nothing like this has happened in the world um, since the Spanish flu in the early 1900s. So I think that it's, it's a real um, paradigm shift for all of us to to experience something like this. And I don't think that most people thought something like this would happen. It's not in our day-to-day lexicon or, or thought process. So I think we have to have a little grace with ourselves as we, we, we come to terms with what's happening and figure it out. Um, I think that this pandemic highlights a few things. I think it highlights um, that we kind of got caught with our pants down because I think there were a lot of us who weren't taking care of our health or like we were talking about, Bill, that our health system doesn't really do well with chronic disease. And we've got all the millions of people in a holding pattern in chronic disease, taking medications on a yearly basis and probably for the rest of their lives to control high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol. So we're not really fixing the problem. And I think here comes this virus and it's definitely showing a propensity for people who have chronic disease and who are not in an optimally healthy state. So something everyone needs to understand is I talk to people every day who I say, do you have any medical problems? And they say, no. And I say, okay, are you on any medications? And they say, oh yeah, I'm on lisinopril, <laughs> atenolol, atorvastatin. Like they give me a list of five, 10 medications medications. And I say, well, then how do you tell me you don't have any medical problems? Oh, well, they're controlled on these medications. And what people need to understand is you are not put in a state of optimal health because you're on medications for medical problems. You still have those medical problems. You are still having untoward side effects from the main disease that you have, as well as the medications. And you really need to be receiving education like we're talking about from a functional approach to treat the root cause so that you can get off the medications and be healed. And please don't anyone listening, take that to mean I'm going to stop my medications. Do not do that. And that's what I was just going to ask you is that if you do take control of your problem, can you ever get off the medication or is it something you're still going to have to deal with, but maybe not as the high dosage that you started with? Bill, I will tell you, I work with patients. Um, I've been doing this full time since 2011. And, you know, one patient comes to mind. She was somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds overweight. I don't recall now. She was on a diabetes medication, a blood pressure medication, a cholesterol medication. And she was in her 50s and her health really was going the wrong way. And her regular doctor, who happened to be my internist at the time, by the way, um, basically just had her on the medications, never talked to her about anything else, diet, lifestyle, nothing really different, just eat the diabetic diet. Um, And she came to see me and she said, I've really had enough. I want this weight gone. I have no energy. I'm sad most of the time and anxious. And she just, her quality of life was terrible. So we worked together, um, and in three months, because she did everything that we talked about, she took it to heart. Uh, she lost, she had lost 30 pounds, and that's right, I think she had 50 pounds total to lose. She had lost 30 in three months. She, um, her blood sugars were all coming back better than they had since she had been diagnosed with diabetes. Her blood pressure was great. Um, And she went back to her internist because I don't take people off of those medications. I like to work with the internist to to do that. Right. She went back to her internist, internist said, oh my gosh, you've lost all this weight. Your blood sugars are so great. Your hemoglobin A1C, we need to take you off all these medications. You don't need them anymore took her off, and then she told her, she said, what have you been doing? She said, oh, I've been working with Dr. Dunstan, and we did all this stuff, and here are all my tests, and da, 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 da. And the woman looked at her and said, that's a bunch of nonsense. I don't know why you're wasting your time or your money. And she said, but I already, I came back to you, and I the proof is that I, I lost all this weight, and you just took me off yeah. all these medications. And short, long story short, you know, it, this is, is the conflict, you know, between mainstream allopathic medicine and functional medicine is that 
they don't they don't really understand what we're doing and therefore it must be witchcraft um, <laughs> but working with someone on their diet and lifestyle and working with micronutrient insufficiencies to replace those and detoxifying the body and balancing the hormones uh, is is very sound medicine that actually works. So people need to know that if you get the right type of practitioner to work with you, if you have diabetes, um, so diabetes happens when your insulin goes up, and if you have enough islet cells in the pancreas that make insulin left, right? Once you have no islet cells, you can't make any insulin, then you become insulin dependent. There's no way yet to rebuild those insulin uh, uh, cells. Now, maybe with stem cells, we will have some treatments where we can rebuild them, but right now we don't. But if you have enough islet cells left to make insulin, you can re completely reverse diabetes and get off blood pressure, um, I'm sorry, diabetic medication. medication. And so, but, but you know, what, what allopathic medicine does is, you know, we check your blood sugar and we might say, oh, it's a little high, we'll watch it, we don't take any action, we check it the next year, and we watch people walk down what I call the road to diabetes. We just walk them, watch it, walk down it. And we don't sound any alarms and we don't get excited. And then 5, 10, 20 years later, when they reach the parameters for a diagnosis of diabetes, we go, oh, my gosh, now you've got diabetes. Now you need to stick your finger several times a day. Now you need to change your diet. Now you need to be on these medications, and you're going to be on this for the rest of your life, right? That's what right. we do. Hey, yeah, Why, hey. when in functional medicine, we look at optimal function. So the minute you, you stick your toe and you start walking down that road to diabetes, we are sounding the alarms. It's a red flag on the field. This is an emergency. We need to look at what you're eating, look at your lifestyle, and we need to switch this around now. You don't have to have a diagnosis of diabetes, Bill, to be having the complications of diabetes, right? When you're pre-diabetic, when you're insulin resistant, when your sugar is running high to any degree, you are having sugar sticking on all the cells in your body, inflaming mm -hmm. them and damaging them. That's a form of inflammation. I call it rust. And this is ultimately what kills us. Well, it's kind of insanity to me that we watch people walk down this road that they don't need to walk down. But most doctors don't get excited about this. And I'll ask patients, well, what did they tell you? They said, oh, my, they told me my sugar was a little high. They're going to watch it. Why are you just going to watch someone walk down the road to diabetes? Why? So in functional medicine, we get very excited so, about when you are not in the optimal range, which is different from what the lab says right. is normal, optimal function, then we are helping you, taking you by the hand, educating you, and walking you back to your best health. Because there's no reason that you shouldn't be as healthy, vital, and alive, energetic, at 50, 60, 70, as you were at 20. Yeah. Um, what I think is interesting, that when I listen to you talk, I'm thinking about it going, what you're doing makes so much sense, but what the other doctors are doing sounds to me like they have it in with the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies, that they get the well, person so far down the road that they're going to be dependent on medication. And in a lot of cases, they're so far gone, and I don't like using that word, far gone, but their habits are already set that it's going to be so difficult to move them back from them. Like you said, when you see there's an issue, you start working with them before the issue becomes a major problem. Well, I do not blame doctors. Let me say that first, because I was one of those doctors who did that for over a decade because that's what I was taught. Right. So they, doctors are some of the most intelligent, heart-centered, well-meaning, loving people you will ever meet. And they are really doing what they were taught to the best of their ability. But, you know, if you're told that you're board certified and you know more about health than anyone else, what, what reason do you have to think that there's something you don't know? None. You have no motivation. And so you do what you're taught to do like I did. So I think it's a systemic 
problem, that this is how we're taught, that we're not thinking outside the box. So all the physicians pretty much who do practice the type of medicine I practice, we had a health problem that was not solved by conventional means and we were dissatisfied. So we looked elsewhere and we became open to, to admit that we didn't know everything and that there was more to know, or we had a family member or loved one who had a health problem. Okay. So invariably, invariably, that's what you'll find. So I think that there are now, I don't know, it's, it's, close to 200,000 of us worldwide who have been trained in this type of medicine and more every day. So I think that the tides are turning. I think that patients get it, that that we've been sold, you know, kind of a bill of lies and this isn't true. And that's why the alternative health care and supplement industry is a multi-billion dollar industry because people are looking for answers that actually heal the body. Now, where do you stand when it comes to, because it just was legalized here in the last two years, uh, medical marijuana, because we're hearing how that can work miracles with some individuals when it comes with certain types of problems. Do you see that being alternative? Because, quote unquote, it is natural, especially if it's grown in, in, in facilities that are being regulated. Do you see that being an alternative? Are there other medicines that are organic and natural that are better than what we're getting from a pharmaceutical company? Well, you know, a lot of the pharmaceuticals that we use actually come from nature. So, for instance, the statins uh, for cholesterol uh, initially are an active ingredient in red yeast rice, which is naturally occurring. And uh, the pharmaceutical company took it out and put it in a pill. And then they uh, sold it as a statin and they actually got a patent on it so no one could sell naturally occurring red yeast rice. Uh, there's a great book called The Great, uh, the Cholesterol Hoax that people may want to look at to, to read about that. But um, natural treatments um, like m cannabis and THC, uh, which is derived from it, and CBD have lots of healing benefits. And there are hundreds of studies on CBD, THC, and the use of cannabis for myriad um, maladies. Um, they are great anti-inflammatories in particular. And like I mentioned earlier, it's inflammation ultimately that kills us. And so if we can do anything to decrease inflammation, that's a benefit. Um, there are so many tools of nature. I mean, we are made of the same substance as plants and all living things. We're, we're made um, from the same elements. And, you know, we, we were put on this planet with each other um, because I believe that we were all uh, had some type of benefit for each other when we work together. And the plants are here for our benefit to nourish us and heal us. Indigenous cultures have been using plants for thousands of years uh, to heal the body. And so with modern medicine, we've kind of come in and said, well, we know better. We create it in a test tube in the lab or we extract from nature um, these substances and then we, we get a patent on them and then um, we use them as drugs. And again, you've got your financial incentive in there that, but you know, pharmaceutical companies in their defense have to recoup right. the billions of dollars that it costs them to do a double blind placebo controlled trial on these medications. So they have to be able to get a patent, but it means that treatments that um, are not potentially lucrative. For instance, bioidentical hormone replacement is something that I work with a lot. And nobody can get a patent on bioidentical hormones. So no one's going to do a large-scale women's health initiative style size trial on it to get a patent. And so this is a way that mainstream medicine kind of poo-poo's bioidentical. So there's no trials. Well, there are lots of small trials, lots and lots and lots, that show that it's safe and effective. Um, but because our gold standard has become the ginormous double-blind placebo-controlled trial, um, it's one way that allopathic medic medicine can marginalize valid natural treatments uh, that have been used for thousands of years. 
which which to me is just gets the whole thing is just fascinating. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up dealing with the uh, pandemic, we're hearing in the news over the last few days that they're now noticing that certain ethnic populations are suffering from it more than others. And when I heard it, I'm going, I'm not surprised because the ones that are they're having the issues that it have always had an issue with access to health care. And yet now they're making an issue out of it. So do you feel that that this whole pandemic is showing our weakness in in the in our medical our medical society in the United States and, and let alone around the world? Because we have certain locations. If you're in a major city that has major hospitals and everything else, you're getting treatments. But if you're in rural areas or if you're in low income areas, you're not getting the same treatment. Do you feel that this is 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 something that we've dealt with for years, and why has it taken so long for this to be spotlighted to the American public? I, I think that the pandemic is just highlighting what's already there, the, the social disparities in healthcare access and delivery in various ethnic populations. Um, there is no um, variety in terms of our susceptibility to the virus based on our ethnicity. So we need to put that to bed. But we do have a social disparity when it comes to healthcare access and delivery and and usage in in the world and in our country in particular, that's highlighting that black and brown populations are getting the virus more often, having more severe disease and more likely to die from the virus. And so again, Bill, it's, it's like we got caught with our health not being in optimal condition. And so any disparities that already existed are being magnified. And so I think it's it's really a call to say we really need to look at our all of us, our overall status of health, and particularly black and brown communities, we need to look at why aren't we serving our all of our populations equally. Right. How do we make sure that people have equal access and equal standards of care? I think it is really magnifying this issue. Um, and the other thing I find very interesting too, and it's the, and I get it because of, of the layoffs and everything in the United States right now, that the food banks are stepping up and providing food to pretty much everyone that needs it. Do you feel that because a lot of the stuff they're giving may be pre-prepared stuff that it may start a, a, um, an eating decline in the country or has the decline been there already that this isn't going to make much of a difference? Well, I did hear that, you know, food banks, just even in my local area, their calls were up something like 300 percent. And I think I heard this last week on an NPR um, interview report. Um, And so there is increased need and access. Um, I would imagine that they dispense mostly um, canned or packaged foods, some of which are processed. So they're not necessarily dispensing fresh foods. Right. Um, And so I think that's what you're getting at. Um, I think right now it's it's a short term need and we need to fill that need however we need to to fill it. And if all you can get are processed foods, you need to eat them because we need macronutrients to survive on a day-to-day basis. Yes, we need micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients. However, your body can function for a longer period of time without micronutrients. But if you don't have macronutrients, you know, it's, I don't know if the time is 30 or 60 days, like you have to have caloric intake. Right. So I think that is serving a great need. Is it a long-term solution? No. And we need to look at, you know, when you were talking, Bill, it came up to me, I had to go um, to another city um, a couple of weeks ago um, for something. And before I was leaving, I said, oh, I'm going to stop at Whole Foods and grab a snack and use the restroom. Well, Whole Foods, you know, they are locked down. They have the pavement uh, taped off every six feet intervals. They're only letting people in as people leave. They're maintaining that six foot distance and just a lot of hygienic measures being taken. So I said, I'm not waiting in that line. So right next door is the local supermarket. No line. I go in. It's chock full of people. Chock full. 
no markers, no um, implementing social distancing guidelines. And, you know, that's the neighborhood supermarket where people are shopping. And, and there were predominantly white people at the Whole Foods and predominantly brown and black people at the neighborhood supermarket. And I, I just saw that as real life social experiment and living, you know, this is what we're dealing with. Um, and so why there's there's such a disparity. Um, gosh, now I forgot what you asked me. I got off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is perfectly fine. I, I've been known to do that um, quite often. Um, the other thing I want to ask you before I let you go, because it's hard to believe we've been on here for almost an hour now, um, that we have we have situations where we have, and we know we know he have domestic abuse in this country, but because of the shutdown, a lot of the people that are being abused are being locked down with their abusers. And how does that play on a mental psyche of a child or an adult that knowing the only way they were getting safe, being safe, was when they were outside of that home? How do we deal with that in the coming years of, the, of, of this uh, after this pandemic is over? Yeah, that is a great point. Bill, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people talking about is the divorce rate going to go up after this? Is the birth rate going to go up? You know, what are going to be the social outcomes of the uh, parameters that we're living under right now? And I think that's a very real concern that people who are living in abusive situations are now having no relief from that. And I imagine that a lot of the 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 social kind of uh, programs that we have in place are shut down as well. So they're not looking into child welfare. And I would imagine that people who are visiting foster children are not going to do that right now, social workers and such. So what will the outcome be? I mean, I think only time will tell. I think it is something to be concerned about. What can we do about it while we're in the thick of it? You know, because we have to isolate, I don't know that it's necessarily that we can go check on our neighbors, um, but we can try to um, video chat and communicate with people. If, if you know of anyone who is in a potentially abusive situation, I'd say staying in touch with them and seeing if they do need um, to move to another living situation that might preclude uh, the risk that they would encounter in making that logistical move and going to somebody else's house house um, because that could almost be more potentially life-threatening in certain situations than getting the virus so i think it's a very real concern yeah it, it, it's something that i never thought of before until i actually started seeing tv commercials that were uh, a few weeks ago and it was before they could change the ad run and they were dealing with domestic violence, especially with kids. And I didn't think about it because we're all so worried just about what's in our household that occasionally we may not be thinking about our neighbors, like you said, or like people that would be dealing with that. So it, it just it just made me a little bit more aware. That's why I was just wondering from a medical profession if you've um, if, if you had any thoughts on the situation itself. Yeah, I think it is a very real concern. Uh, and I would say if you have concern for friends or family members, please stay in touch with them by phone or video chat and check in with them and uh, contact the local authorities or if you can assist them if they are needing to relocate because there is a threat of uh, their life or body being injured. Karen, I appreciate it. I have more questions now than I did when we started. We're going to have to do this again sometime. <laughs> you are a yes. you're a joy to talk to. I really enjoyed it, and I've also learned a lot today. So I'd love to have you on the show. Maybe once everything slows down, and uh, maybe we can touch base sometime next fall. Sure, Bill. I love it. I've enjoyed it. I love talking about these issues. I think they're important issues that people really need to start thinking about now, especially since they're highlighted by the pandemic. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And um, I welcome people to reach out to me. You said you looked at my website. They can check me out on Kieran Dunstan, MD. It's spelled kind of funny. So I'll spell it for you. It's K-Y. 
A-R-I-N, Dunstan, D-U-N-S-T-O-N-M-D.com. I will have up shortly a, a free download on essential self-care for resilient health, what you need to be doing now to make sure your health is in the best position possible. Um, and I have lots of other resources there, and they're welcome to join me there or on social media, on Facebook, Instagram. I welcome interaction. Well, Karen, thank you very much for joining us today, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Have a great day. You're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM, McKeesport, PA, and WLDJ-FM 107.5, Newcastle, PA. We'll be back in a moment to wrap everything up. Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Welcome back to Online with Bill Alexander. It's time to wrap up another show. A big thank you going out to Dr. Karen Dunstan for being a guest on the program today. And thank you very much for listening to us here on WMCK.FM at Keysport and also at WLDJ-FM 107.5 Newcastle, PA. You can also hear us at their website, hofmradio.com. And don't forget, we're streaming at italknet.com. Guys, I'm out of here. You have a great one. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com.